Mum Talk is supported by Bugaboo. 20 years ago, Bugaboo started a stroller revolution, changing the game with innovative products that had at their heart the desire to make parents' lives easier. Bugaboo continue to invent, develop, test and manufacture truly revolutionary products. Made to use every day, designed to last a lifetime, there's a Bugaboo pram, pushchair or stroller to suit every family's needs. Bugaboo know that it's not always easy, but the it's always worth it. They get that you're a parent and a person. And with their extraordinary products, we've got this for Mum Talk podcast listeners, a 10% saving on Bugaboo products available this month, November 2019. So visit bugaboo.com forward slash mumtalk using promo code mumtalk10 at checkout, capital letters, and choose the pram, pushchair, stroller, car seat, or accessory to suit your lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. Bugaboo reserve the right to terminate this offer at any time. Hello and welcome to Mum Talk Series 5, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. On this podcast, I share my journey of literally having no idea what I am doing, from pregnancy to life now with a baby. Through the podcast, I am joined by not only incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. You can trust in Mum Talk to be honest, real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments. Maybe you have a cup of tea with your feet up or perhaps your jogging shoes on and you're off for a stroll. Whatever and wherever you may be, thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 5, Episode 8. How we're on Episode 8 already, I have no idea. We only have two episodes after this one left of Series 5. So I'm going to ask you guys already, I would love recommendations on what you would like me to cover next series. There, of course, is going to be a Series 6, of course. Um, So what would you like to hear? Do you want to hear more from me? Do you want to hear from more from other people? What kind of topics do you want? Um, So yes, please do drop me a DM as you're listening to this week's podcast if anything comes up. And also you can drop me an email at mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com. So before we head into this week's podcast, a couple of things I wanted to share with you. How I have got this week's episode to you, I have no idea. Um, right now, I am sitting in my end room. Amandine has just gone down. Hendrix being an absolute superstar and has just put Amandine down. I've been up uh, the past three nights, four nights with her now. Um, literally no sleep. As you can possibly hear from my voice, you can tell I'm rather tired. But also, I think I'm about to come down with it. And I knew I would. I mean... You'll remember me talking about our health visitor trip with Amandine and the health visitor saying, well, you shouldn't get everything that Amandine gets, but I have. I have got every single thing Amandine has had. I have never been so sick in my life, and I think that's possibly why. I was never a sickly child, and I think I'd get like one cold a year, if that. Um, very lucky, so now I'm just getting a kick in the backside from it all. Anyway, Amandine is fine. I really think she's coming out the other end, which is just brilliant. She's been so poorly, poor little thing. Um, We didn't go to the doctor this time because I have seen progress every day after kind of the worst day. So it's been um, it's been tough. But if your little one is going through kind of all the winter colds, I feel for you. I really feel for you. 
Um, you have all of my well wishes coming your way. A couple of learnings I wanted to share with you all from it um, is... When Amandine was non-stop coughing, now she's over the age of one, if we gave her kind of just maybe half a teaspoon of honey, that seemed to really, really help. Plus, she loved it. You guys know how much she hates Neurofen and so I've only managed to get a few doses of that whilst um, she's been ill because she has rocked a very high temperature for um, a couple of days. Not con- not constantly. Um, if it had been constantly, I definitely would have taken her to the doctor, but it was mostly just whilst, um, you know, when you wake up, in the morning and you feel absolutely rotten after you've been sleeping or you've taken a nap that seemed to be when her temperature was at its highest um it never went over 39 we kind of hovered at 38.8 for a little while so it was never a huge huge fever but then she is one obviously if your baby's having that kind of a fever when they're smaller than one then um doctors visit probably so We gave her a little bit of honey. We also put a towel underneath her mattress on both ends of her cot because I had a lot of advice saying prop her up. Now we do do that, but we'd stop doing that um, because she moves around in her cot so much. So you can't really just prop one end of the cot up. You can only prop both ends or nothing. So we kind of made this V shape with towels at either end of the cot and she seemed to be all right with that. But literally the minute it got dark outside, the minute night started to hit, her cough would just come back. Um, and that was tricky because I ended up having to hang laundry in her room to try and make it a little bit more humid. Um, I put bowls of water underneath the radiator and on top of the radiator as well. What else did we do? One thing I didn't do, and I was lying in bed thinking about it, and I was like, yes, of course, why didn't I do that? Because I've got a diffuser, of course, um, from my yoga retreats. Why didn't I use the diffuser? Because that would have just put out steamy water into the room. I didn't need to put any essential oils in. Anyway, so I might do that tonight just to help. Last night was by far the best night. She finally got off to sleep around, I would probably say, half past 10, 11. Um, The coughing stopped, and then she woke at 5 o'clock. And of course, because she's a bit, you know, she's got no idea what's happening with this time change. So she um, woke up at five, went to get her and she hasn't been eating either. I wanted to share this with you. So she has been getting more and more boob. She is now asking for boob every single hour of the day. (laughs) I'm incredibly impressed with my boobs, I have to say. They have, from going from just morning and just evening feed to her wanting it literally throughout the day, the supplies just come back. It's incredible, which wasn't that great this morning because when she had slept, literally the night before last, she fed all night. That was the only way that she was happy. Um, She was just attached to my boob all night and... Last night, my boobs were so full. Goodness me, so full all night. Anyway, that's enough about my boobs. So main learning really was about propping the cot, bit of humid air coming through and also a little bit of honey if your baby's over one. Um, Obviously, good quality honey. Um, Yeah. So, on to the bit of exciting news that I wanted to share with you before we do get into the podcast. And it's a great podcast, by the way. Um, Event. In Exeter. So if you're listening and you're close to Exeter, even if you're not close to Exeter, we're not in the middle of nowhere, you should totally still come along. The event is on Monday the 18th of November and I'm taking Mum Talk Live once again and it's going to be in Central Exeter location. It's a beautiful location. I'm I'm super happy um, with the location and 
It's from 10.30 until 12.30. I put it at that time because I thought that would be easiest with nap times. I hope it is. I know there are a couple of mums who are... um, their babies normally nap at that time. I mean, Amandine still naps around that time. Um, But it's just a one-off. So I figured, you know, once off can't hurt. So it's 10.30 to 12.30 and the panel's going to be for about 40 to 45 minutes with the most brilliant panel guests. I've got Sarah Turner, the unmumsy mum, and also Siobhan Miller, the founder of the Positive Birth Company. They're both brilliant. They've both been on the podcast. I think Sarah Turner and I's podcast was like two hours long and it's just full of hysterical information so definitely watch that before coming along but your babies are so very welcome Scandiborn are kindly um providing a baby corner for babies so you know if they're getting agitated whilst listening to the panel and for the rest of the time that we're there there's a place for you to go and sit and play with them um and just have you know give them a little bit of sensory experience as well Organic Babies have come on board to sponsor the event, which I'm super proud about. I've worked really, really hard on this event, so to have a sponsor come along um, on the event as well is just really, really lovely. And it's a sponsor who we used, who we have used and continued to use since Amandine was born. Um, I adore the massage oil. That is their product that we use the most. It's brilliant. And also the bum cream is just fantastic as well. And knowing that it's all natural um, has always been uh, top of my priorities. And I love their brand. I used Green People because Organic Babies are by Green People. I used Green People before for their sun creams um, and absolutely loved them. So new from day one, I wanted to be using that on Amandine's. So it's lovely to actually have a sponsor that I support come on board for the event. There are, of course, going to be the most amazing goodie bags. You can't have an event like this and not have brilliant goodie bags. So I promise you there will just be the most luxurious goodie bags um, you've probably ever seen. So... So to get your tickets, the link is in my Instagram bio to go straight through to the Eventbrite link. You can also go to Mum Talk Podcast on Facebook and you can get the Eventbrite tickets through there. Um, They are £12 and they cover absolutely everything that you could possibly need to do whilst you're at the event. Um, There'll be teas and coffees and cakes, loads of time for connecting with other mums making new friends, talking about, you know, everything that goes on in motherhood. And it's not just open to mums. I do want to reiterate that. I know that most of the people that will be coming will be mums, but it is very open to dads and to carers and to mums-to-be, dads-to-be, parents, grandparents. You know, please do come along. It's going to be brilliant. Um, And I think dads especially get very left out of these kind of things. So I do really want you to know that dads, if you're listening, you're extremely welcome to come along. In fact, I would love it more than anything to see some male faces in the audience. Unfortunately, Hendrik can't be there. He is now flying, um, which is rubbish because he was meant to be coming along. Um, So I'm quite gutted about that. But please do come along if you would like to come along. Yeah, so go and get your tickets. We're 50% sold out already. So I don't think the tickets are going to last a huge amount longer. Um, But yeah, go to the link in my bio on Instagram to grab your tickets or go to Eventbrite and just search um, Mum Talk Live. I reckon that will probably get you to the event or go to a Facebook page, Mum Talk Podcast and click and buy your tickets there. Okay, let's get on to this week's podcast. So this week I am chatting with a wonderful bilingual actress 
acquisitionist. So you guys probably know already that Hendrik is French, so we're trying to bring Amandine up bilingual. And I think it's working so far because Amandine certainly understands a lot of the things that Hendrik says um, in French. So Hendrik will only ever speak to Amandine in French. He speaks to me in English, though, so she she does hear both. Um, And he also reads her books in French and 99% of her books are French. So that's how we're working it out. And I speak to her in English. Of course, my French is not that good. However, I do pop a bit of French in there. And remember when I had that chat with our health visitor and she very much said you shouldn't be speaking French you need to pick a language so the bilingual acquisitionist does explain a little bit more around this and it makes perfect sense so if you were a little bit taken aback by my health visitor's comment as much as I was and disappointed because my French was really improving the bilingual acquisitionist does say you know why um, the health visitor said that However, I am still speaking a little bit of French um, to Amandine because I really enjoy it and it's just really nice. And it's a massive aim of mine to get better at French as well um, because I want to be able to understand what her and her papa are saying to each other and I want to be able to be involved in the conversation when Amandine is a little bit older. So it's um, important for me too. Anyway, let's get into it and I will see you on the other side. So do you want to introduce yourself to start with? Um, And because, I mean, you've written so many papers on this. Mm. Your knowledge (laughs) must be incredibly extensive. (laughs) Well, I have been involved in bilingual acquisition for some time. Yeah. Okay, so my my name is Christina Schenderter. And um, I have, I'm an academic. I've worked in academia for quite some time. Uh, I kind of became involved in, in fact, uh, monolingual language acquisition. I worked for a project at the University of Reading. And then I had my own children at some point. And, of course, being German myself and having a husband who's English, uh, the question came up of how to bring them up. But by that time, I became also more interested in uh, people who'd done research on this and um, so the <laughs> 30 years later um, I have brought up two daughters Emily and Sonia who are bilingual and I've also written on the subject most recently I have completed a, a book which is called Introduction to Bilingualism which is going to be published soon and I try to put some of my knowledge and expertise into this book and, but it's written for beginners for students so maybe it is accessible to people parents who are interested in bilingualism as well yeah absolutely gosh i i would definitely have a have or attempt to have a read of it i did attempt to read one of your papers um (laughs) yesterday but i was I mean, it wasn't confusing, but I it was quite scientific. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so maybe therefore the papers aren't the best kind of place to start. I mean, I in turn listened to your po- one of your, I think your last podcast yesterday. Yeah. So um, it, you know, it brought back memories of being at that stage when you have a one-year-old and you're going through all those questions, including, you know, so you were kind of saying that the health visitor 
had suggested that you should speak only English to your daughter. By the yes. way, Amandine is a beautiful name. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, I can just, you know, imagine her being extremely cute. <laughs> <laughs> And you were also sort of saying that she seems to understand uh, both languages, which is a very good observation. Yeah, she really does. I mean, she's she's started to say kind of English words like doggy, and then she'll understand the word chien, which is dog in French, and she'll pass you the mm. dog even when you say chien. So she definitely understands, and it's the same with apple and pom. She started to get those Excellent. two. She's not saying any French words yet, mm-hmm. but um, she certainly understands what we're mm-hmm. referring to, which is great. Mm-hmm. And that's excellent because, um, okay, I don't want to launch into all the kind of questions that have been raised, but, you know, whether children understand the words and understand or can or have linked the words in their mind um, is a question that researchers have been looking at. Okay. And um, some people are sort of saying, oh, well, children are confused and they don't know which is which. But, um, you know, there is another group of people who think, well, no, they from because, again, language acquisition doesn't start from the time they start producing words or show signs that they understand. It really starts from day one or Mm -hmm. even before when they hear you speak and they have they had a year or about that time to get used to what English sounds like, what French sounds like. So by the time they themselves are ready to speak, they already know a lot about language. Right. God, wow. I and think... that is, of course, why you come say, yes, yeah, she understands. Yeah, of course she does. Mm, mm. So kind of launching into these questions that we want to talk about and to give a little bit of background to any podcast listeners who are listening to this without listening to any other podcast to give you a bit of background and I guess a case study I suppose that we'll be using through this um, podcast talking with Christina is um, I'm English my husband's French and we live in England Hendrik and I speak English to each other and Hendrik (laughs) speaks French only French to Amandine. Um, Mm -hmm. I speak English to Amandine and occasionally a bit of French. And yes, what Christina was saying was that my health visitor um, said that I needed to pick. So I had to either pick just English or just French. Now, I can't just pick French because I don't know enough French to speak Mm -hmm. to Amandine. Um, What are your thoughts initially on what my health visitor said? Well, what she says to me very much um, kind of follows one of the home language principles that um, the literature talks about, and that's the so-called one parent, one language principle. So the idea being that you have two people like yourself and your husband who are native speakers of different languages, and therefore the most beneficial, it seems, way of bringing up your child bilingually is to um, for each of you to speak their native language to the child. And you know, that results, obviously, in the child hearing both languages and acquiring, learning both languages. It's, but some people are kind of a bit more uh, radical in this than others, that you, they say, well, you must only speak that language to your child, mm-hmm. because then a pattern is established. So 
and you have families where people or children grow up with more than two languages. They grew up with three languages. So I knew uh, somebody in Manchester who she was um, German, half Danish, but effectively German. The husband was Spanish and they lived in England. So they were dealing with three languages and they very much hung it on the person. So she said to her son, a little son, Pascual, you need to talk to Christina in the same way you talk to whoever it was. And the son then realized he had to speak German to me. So it's kind of linking the language to the person, which is the one person, one language principle. And that has been very much advocated in in the literature. And a lot of people who observed their children um, followed this principle. And if I'm speaking like a teeny tiny bit of French to her, will that do damage if we were following this principle or not really? Well, I mean, I think what is important, I would endorse that the, the importance of consistency. Okay. So you should do, do one thing one day and something else the next day. But just to give you an example, I mean, in the first chapter of my book, I describe a various case studies of parents bringing up their children and what they and how these children were brought up so for example and this is a um you know a linguist herself uh, she was she's married her husband was spanish and so the child um, heard both languages um and she says um that the parents or she and her husband spoke spanish to each other the mother uh, also spoke Spanish to the child when the father was present. So, you know, you could have a consistent pattern. I know you said you speak English to your husband, but that's something to think about. Could it be that you want to maybe have a French environment when your husband is present, where everybody speaks French, including yourself, to the child? Okay. So that, that in that sort of setting, I don't think it's... It's perfectly acceptable. Okay. Well, drawing um, from your experience in bringing up your girls, um, how how did you do it? Um, I have to say, in that sense, it was the traditional way of following the one person, one language principle. Okay. I personally found it sort of unnatural to speak English to my daughters. And I think there is another point that you made, but in my case, it was the other way around, that French, of course, is the minority language. Mm. So you, what you will find as time goes on is that because you live in an English-speaking environment, your child will, you know, her English will become stronger and stronger. And the danger is that French will more and more take a back seat Yes. Whereas in my case, of course, it was German, which is the minority language. And therefore, um, you know, I was very keen to push the German. And therefore, for me, it was better. Or I've made the decision that as much as possible, I was going to speak German to my children, which could have worked well, quite well. The other thing, I think, is to um, to think about other possible contacts. So if you knew anybody else in a similar situation to yourself, um, you know, so, so that your child doesn't all, all only feel that 
uh, French is something that daddy speaks, mm. but something that, you know, if, if you had a French-speaking toddler group, for example, that would be brilliant. Yes, okay, yes, now I can yes. understand And that. I'm sure that through your podcasts, you might find, I know Devon is <laughs> not London, where you find... <laughs> Uh, children growing up with all sorts of languages but nevertheless you might find that there are people in a similar situation to yourself and uh, who might be interested in forming a group like this so yes. where you know toddlers get together a great way of them you know not just um, learning getting to know other children but also learning oh there are other toddlers who speak that language Yes, and that association that it's not just them and 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 daddy, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. the more the more people you find who who can enforce this, the better, really. So we wanted to discuss in the questions, didn't we? Methods to increase exposure to the minority language, and that would be mm-hmm. a definite method to do that. Whilst we're on that topic, are there any yeah. other methods of increasing exposure to the minority? I mean, we. We do things like Hendrik will only read French books. Now, that's good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I mean, it is obviously a very good thing, but I feel like, well, she also needs to learn how to read English. Um, right. So there will be a point when we need to read English books too. But to start with, because I'm, you know, speaking a lot more English and mm-hmm. when she goes to play with other babies, she's looking at their English books. Maybe we're sticking with French books. Um, do you, is that a good idea? And do you have any other methods to increase exposure to the minority language? I mean, books are certainly a good way of for the child to learn the language. And I suppose initially, at your daughter's age, it will be picture books. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and picture books are you know not dependent on the language. So, where the child. Um, you, know, you look at a picture and it's a matter of labelling the pictures so mm. the child might want to know what's this called, what's this called and you're providing the labels so then Hendrik can do it in, in French and you can take the same book and provide the labels in English okay. so then yeah, she gets input in both And if, um, if Hendrik say reading the book would it be wrong of him because he's only speaking French to Amandine to give her the French name and the English name? Should he just stick with the French name and then I just stick with the English name? Um, I was thinking about, you know, because he was saying, um, you know, should you give both the English and the French? Mm. I, I don't know of anybody who's tried that. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of somebody who's learning English or learning a language later on where you have, you know, you try to link one word with another word in the other language. Mm. And I was kind of wondering, would it work or not? I mean... Uh, one of the things when children learn words in particular is that they're not really, um, at least the monolingual child, children, they don't like two uh, two words for the same thing. Okay. So, kind of, again, a, a particular principle called mutual exclusivity. So if they have one word, they're usually happy with that one word and are not very happy if you try and say, but this is also this. Okay. Um, but at the same time, of course, this whole principle falls down when it comes to children learning two languages because they precisely have to learn the, the same word, um, car, chair, 
it has one word in English and the other words in French, and they can do that, of course. So, um, I mean, my, I think I feel that it's not necessary to give them both, but rather let them learn the words in both contexts. Okay. Um, and I'm not saying you, you confuse them, but um, you know. But at the same time, I remember. Um, you can sometimes make a game out of it um, because I remember my older daughter saying things like daddy says this and mummy mama says that so she was quite aware like you're saying your daughter understands that chien and dog are the same things so why not again you could make a a game out of it Uh, so you have a word like dog and then you can ask what does daddy say and if she comes up, she comes okay. out with chien, then that's great. But if she doesn't know the word in French, then you could reinforce it and say, Daddy says chien. Ah, uh, yes, that's such a yeah. good idea. Rather than just giving her a, a dog and chien. You yes. know, it's a little bit out of context if you then bring in the French word. But by saying, and daddy, daddy says, you're providing in the context of saying, well, what does daddy say? Yeah, so it's so, back to, again, associating that language with the person. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, don't think that there is just one way. I mean, in a way, I'm happy for a health visitor to say what they said because in the past uh, but I mean we're talking 30 years ago they sometimes said oh don't speak different languages to your child because you just confuse them and I'm glad that we've got away from this Mm. yeah Uh, one of the one of the um, bits of feedback I had on my Instagram actually when I put the question out was is it recommended to speak to two languages to a children they didn't think it was I don't think Um, and I think that the worry comes from so many of us being told that, oh, your child's speech is going to be delayed if you bring them up bilingually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think it, I mean, Aldine's no. already starting to say words and she's only just one and she she said her first word before she was one. So I don't particularly see a delay. Exactly. No, I mean, the, there's no evidence that unless a child has a particular issue anyway, mm. uh, there's no evidence that a normally developing child, that their language is delayed because they're exposed to more than one language. That's right. not the case. I mean, the health visitor at two years will ask, can hear, can she put two words together? And, um, you know, that's that's what they should be able to do at that stage. And I remember when my younger daughter who contacted you, when yeah. she was two, uh, the health visitor, and she had only just got to putting two words together, but then subsequent children are often a bit slower. And she said to me, well, I know you know a lot about this subject, but if you're ever worried, we can get her to speech therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, um, yeah, well, I will tell you if I think that's necessary, but I don't think at the, at the moment that's the case. So and it, was, yeah. it never was. <laughs> yeah. So is there an age when you should start? I mean, Hendrik and I have just literally started from day one. Um, he mm-hmm. didn't actually, he doesn't tend to speak French to me, actually, because um, he's he is at a point he's 42 and he's actually spent longer speaking English than he ever spoke 
um, French for because he left France when he was 16. Um, So he actually, I think, now starts to almost once when he's in England he finds it easier just to speak English to everyone and anyone and then it takes a bit of effort to go back to French and and speak French again um but so so he never kind of spoke French to me when Amandine was in my tummy so we just started the minute um she was born but I've had quite a few people asking kind of it when is it too late to adopt kind of a bilingual nature to bringing up your children um I mean what you did was the right thing uh, to start from birth. Mm-hmm. And if you do start from birth, then um, the children will get exposure to both. I mean, okay, they might sort of learn something before birth, but um, if you do it from birth, then your child will be considered uh, to be a simultaneously bilingual child. The later you left it, and um, just to give you another example of this home language, um, which actually a friend of mine followed. So even though she's German and the husband was English, they they decided, and I think that's perfectly reasonable to make that decision, to speak only German to their son. So he spoke German. He's He's a lecturer in German, so German is very good. And they decided, well, because German is the minority language, let's just speak German to the son. But, of course, living in an English environment, you can only take it that far. Mm. And when the son went to a nursery at the age of two, he was exposed to English. So at that point, what you have to consider is that obviously his German was a lot, lot stronger than his English was so he had to you know it started from more or less from scratch at this point no problem learning English no problem he's still a bilingual child in terms of the literature you would say well he wasn't a simultaneous bilingual child he was a we call it sequential bilingual child but you know what if you started two it doesn't make any difference at the later stage okay so if you start obviously at eight or ten, like I started learning English at ten, then it means you're probably not going to sound like a native speaker anymore. Yes, okay. Um, Whereas the the earlier you start learning or hearing a language, the more chance you have of actually sounding like a native speaker. Yes. And I think that sort of that window closes fairly early, maybe around about five, but it depends on the individual child as well. So, you know, doing it from birth is absolutely fine, and you know, and Amandine will learn the, you know, the wave um, sounds are pronounced in French perfectly all right. Bugaboo has a range of amazing prams, pushchairs and strollers that are designed for many different lifestyles. And after 20 years of inventing, developing and rigorously testing, they really do know how to create amazing products. The Bugaboo B5 is made for the city with one-handed steering and nimble handling, advanced suspension for longer naps and a super strong chassis. It makes navigating city streets fun and is small enough to nip onto public transport or pop into your favourite cafe. 
The Bugaboo Fox is effortlessly maneuverable, extremely light and comfortable for parent and child. The super responsive handling is like power steering, while the big wheels and amazing central joint system that only Bugaboo know how to design creates a smooth, comfortable ride for your child. The Bugaboo Chameleon 3 Plus is the iconic design that has been tested to ride from Amsterdam to Shanghai, which is equivalent to around 10 years of use. It's just so easy with a combination of large and small wheels for town or country, a reversible handlebar, simple to fold and very light to carry. The Bugaboo Donkey 2 provides multiple options, whether for one child, two of different ages or twins, always travelling effortlessly comfortably, even when fully loaded. I especially love the idea of two children side by side as they can ride along together as they share their first years. And we've got this for Mum Talk podcast listeners, a 10% saving on Bugaboo products available this month, November 2019. So visit bugaboo.com forward slash mum talk using promo code mumtalk10 at checkout, capital letters, and choose the pram, pushchair, stroller, car seat, or accessory to suit your lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. Bugaboo reserve the right to terminate this offer at any time. And if parents are both English or, you know, both French or both one language, but the parents are wanting to try and bring them up um, bilingually with another language, but it's not their native tongue, what at what age should that be done? And does that even work? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the question, of course. I mean, I think, you know, there are people who will say, well, it's a a good thing to do because of course the model that the child get, gets then is not a nature speaker model mm. so if depending if so if you were the only i mean if you spoke french to your to amandine then at least you'd have one native speaker and one non-native speaker providing mm. the input if you have somebody who's the language is not that good to try and provide that input it's you know the worst your own proficiency is the worse it gets then really mm. um so you ask yourself is that really such a good idea to try and um give an input to the child when your own language is limited mm. you know, so um just because you think it's a good idea to for a child to to grow up bilingually well you know that that's that's when it gets a little bit you know, more difficult to to say is that really a good idea or wouldn't it be better to let this child learn the language a little bit later and then in a different context but, yeah. but then again you know there are case studies where you know even a, a relative regularly speaks to the child in that language um and and that's well that still has a certain amount of benefit so it doesn't harm them, um, but you know. But if you want really want want them to be equal in both languages, it's best to have a that regular input, and ideally from two people who speak the language at a yeah, native speaker level. Yes, yeah, I can understand that. Or as near as possible. And how about writing? Writing That's the minority language. 
writing the language. Mm. Um, yeah, obviously, that's the other thing, of course, that if if Amandine goes to an English-speaking school later on and learns to read and write in English, mm. um, A, will she transfer that skill to French, or will she be somebody who's bilingual but not biliterate, if you see what I mean? Yes. So that's where, you know, it depends on what you want. Uh, sometimes there are sort of Saturday schools um, who where the children can learn to speak but also to write. I don't know whether there's any, any school like this in your area. Um, or, you know, that's where your husband might have to do a bit of more work to get them to write if she's interested in that. Sometimes... One of the issues is that once they go to school, they don't want to stick out. They, mm. they don't want you to speak another language to them. And uh, it gets very difficult to try and enforce another language, not enforce, but to try and keep their bilingualism going, for example. So that's where, again, if you have that context, yeah, the child goes to Saturday school, or in my case, I decided to take it for my girls to go to a school that was bilingual itself. Oh, so, wow, okay. So if you have that opportunity, that's brilliant. But I, I, I realise that where you have a, a school like that near you, that's a bonus. Uh, that's not, not, not necessarily possible anywhere where you live. So how did that work? I, I didn't even know that actually existed. So how does a how does a bilingual school work? Um, it, it depends again with what school it is. But uh, my children, my girls, went to um, to a school near Oxford, mm-hmm. and it had. Um, and by the way, the, the school as such does not exist anymore. Right. They, it, um, it was phased out and they have something else still, but it's not quite the same. So the idea of the school when they were there was that it had different language sections. So it had a French section, a German section, an Italian section and a Dutch section. Although those are very small and the teaching in those sections was in that language. So the German teaching was in German, the French teaching was in French. There was an English section as well. And they taught a little bit of Irish okay. as well. So, um, so therefore, it was as if they went to school in that country. Yeah. So the teacher was a native German speaker. The other kids were either native German speakers or bilingual speakers. And the classroom language was German. And that was, you know, from my point of view, it was ideal because it kept their other language going. It kept the minority language going. And, I mean, they, because it, the school only started at six, um, they, and they had to take a bus to get there from where we, were, from where we lived. So I only put them there from the age of six so when they were five they went to an English school Mm -hmm. and then they changed and I kind of do remember reading books being quite laborious with my older daughter because um, in English the English uh, writing system is so inconsistent (laughs) that if you you know they kind of build it up at least in those days they did 
So you had a, a little bit of text and a picture, and the child had more or less memorized what the text was. And then the text got more and more, and it kind of was more and more strain on their memory. And um, and then they, she changed school, and they started, you know, again, German is a much more phonetic language, so the sound and the letter corresponded. And six months later, she could write a read and write in both languages. And I thought, how did that happen? Mm. But <laughs> because it was done systematically and letter by letter and linking letter to sound, it was easier. Or, you know, it kind of, and she was ready maybe more at that point at six than at five. And all of a sudden it all clicked in place yes. and okay maybe their German writing isn't as good because in general they are maybe they wrote more in English I think they, my older one read more books herself than the younger, the younger one but in principle they know how to write and they have a basic grasp of writing in German as well yes. so I mean that was probably very lucky Whereas sometimes people I've spoken to, they sort of say, well, as soon as they start school, everything for them becomes English. And you know, then that's why you have to, you know, sometimes maybe thinking about it, what do I want to do? But how can I support that language as they get older is quite a good idea if you want to keep it up. Absolutely. So then it would be a case of Hendrik, I guess, putting in quite a bit more effort when she starts to school, go to school and then again trying to find yeah. little groups after school groups or something like that that For revolve example. around the yeah. French language. But also visits can help, you know, going to in the summer, going to France. And, yeah, we do um, go actually. We go about five times a year for 10 days each. So we do go a lot. Yeah. Exactly, and that kind of obviously boosts um, their language as well. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So how how difficult is all of this for babies? I mean, do they have any, do, mm -hmm. do they have a comprehension of the fact that it is difficult? I mean, here I am thinking, oh my God, this must be really, really hard on Amandine, but does she even realise that it's difficult or is she just, is it such a natural process that she won't even question it? Yeah, I mean, language acquisition is a natural process. So children learn language much more easily than adults do. Mm. They, they obviously, um, as they get older, their memory gets better and so on. Um, and they want to learn. So you will find Amandine is now a year old. Yes. Um, so between one and two or in the not too distant future, she, her word learning will increase so children between one and two go through what we call the vocabulary spurt. So at the moment, she might learn a word every week or two weeks, but then all of a sudden it's like three, four words every day. Oh, so wow. it explodes. And it's not that she, she does anything, but she has developed to a point where we're not quite sure, is it that she suddenly realises everything has a, has a name and she wants to know what's this, what's this, what's this, or, um, or, why, or what exactly um, causes them to accelerate in their work learning, but they do. And if they learn two languages, it accelerates. And if they are 
if they have been, um, if their language has been in, in both, if they've been learning both, then there's no reason why it shouldn't increase in both. Mm-hmm. The only thing that people are saying, or researchers are saying, is, well, you know, the the language that children hear is in a bilingual is split between one and the other. So if you and your husband were speaking the same language, then the child would only hear English and the total amount that the child hears is more than if you split it between the two languages. And yes, it is the case um, that once Amandi goes to school, that maybe her in- just her English vocabulary might not be as wide as her her, um, as that of a monolingual child. Mm. So that's kind of, I call that a certain disadvantage. But the, on the other hand, and it might not be aware of, of that, there has also been research in looking at does it have advantages? I mean, not knowing fewer words, but does the exposure to two languages have advantages? And it does. Uh, there's a woman, Ellen Bialystok, who says that, for example, when you're quite a bit older, the onset of Alzheimer is later. Mm. People are bilingual. And you're much better at switching. Um, because, of course, you know, Amandine switches languages. Yes. So that there's a, a, on the one hand, the awareness that um, language, to some extent, is arbitrary. The words are arbitrary in relation to the objects because a chair can be called chair and chairs. So that's arbitrary, what we call it. So children have been found to be much better at certain tasks where you get them to accept a different word for a particular object or, you know, there's a task where you say, oh, let's call the sun the moon and the moon the sun. Yeah. And now let's sort of, let's work with this in some way and do a little task. And bilingual children were much better to remember or to work with a changed terminology like sun, moon and moon, sun. So therefore, but I mean, that's just an example, but it just means that they are better at attending to something when um, you have other competing, um, there are other competing stimuli, you're much better at attending to one because you continually have this competition between the languages. Yes, yeah, no, I can see that. So therefore, you know, in in terms of the, it, what people say is that it has certain cognitive advantages in being bilingual, and um, not just the fact that you speak more than one language, but you're much better at a certain switching or attending selectively to, to certain things. So that's where the advantage lies. Mm. Yeah. Um, and as I say, if you're older, then <laughs> you're less likely to get Alzheimer's as soon as uh, if you're just monolingual. That's such a, that's such an interesting fact. Um, so equal as far as vocabulary goes, should we be 
when when her vocabulary goes to say three learning three new words a day four new words a day like you were just mentioning then should mm-hmm. we be trying to keep um it equal across french and english so should we be looking at say maybe two english words a day two french english words uh, two french words a day or does it not really matter so much or how how should the split be well if you believe that input in the amount of input affects the output and there is something to it Mm. then keeping it as equal as possible of course would be a good idea Mm. because otherwise you know if English is much more dominant then French is you know the learning of French will be less than in in English if you kind of if you can keep it equal yeah um then you know by all means you know try and keep it equal or maybe (laughs) if she has more content with the outside world, then, you know, um, making sure the French is kept up. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as long as you know that she learns n- new words in both languages, then uh, on the other hand, that's fine. Yeah, then if there is continued, if she continues to hear both languages, she will learn. Both languages. languages. Yeah, simple as that, really. <laughs> and you don't really, I mean, it's not really necessary to kind of you know, monitor, oh, how much French has she heard, how much English has she heard. No. Um, as long as you keep it kind of roughly equal. But I mean, you know, it's lifestyle as well. We all, we all work, your husband works, and, you know, by the nature of your lifestyle, she might hear more French at some points than at other points. Mm. Absolutely. So I have quite a specific question from a listener, um, which I was hoping to ask you. Um, So her mother tongue is Arabic and she has a 10-month-old baby. Um, She's learning French herself to teach her, to get her into Mm -hmm. a French school, but we live mm-hmm. in an English country. So she's mm-hmm. asking, how can I make sure she knows English to communicate in nursery, but doesn't mm-hmm. lose her Arabic, which will be her mother tongue? Mm-hmm. Should she leave French until she starts to go to school or should she start now? It would depend who would provide that input in French. Which is what we were talking about earlier, yes. That's right. I mean, if there was a relative... Um, or somebody who is in regular contact with a child who can't speak French, then why not start French now? Babies can cope with different languages. Mm. But I wouldn't necessarily um, recommend that she kind of tries and split talking Arabic sometimes and French sometimes. Yeah. I think that kind of violates that principle, that this kind of establish a pattern. Yeah. So, um, you know, therefore, think carefully about if you want to introduce French, how you would do that and how you would establish a regular contact with that language. Yes. Because otherwise, and if you can't, so never the right, right or wrong answer, but if you have a relative who speaks French, native French, then visit the relative regularly and let the relative speak French. But if that's difficult, then you might decide just leave it a little bit later. Yes, yes. Um, it, it, again, there's no necessity to 
kind of start five languages from the beginning, we still have the capacity to learn languages even if we're a little bit older. Mm. So it doesn't sort of close completely. Um, I mean, I know it gets harder the older we get to learn another language. Mm. And but I mean, sometimes, again, as adults, we can still learn a language. And um, well, no, as adults, we can still, in principle, learn a language. And we do it, obviously, more consciously. Mm. But as I, as I said before, we have to accept that it's going to be more difficult to sound native speaker long. Mm. Oh, gosh, yeah, me attempting to speak French doesn't sound so pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, so based on the re- based on research and, you know, which you are so knowledgeable in, is there any other advice that you would give to parents or myself trying to bring up children bilingually? And from your experience as well, drawing on your experience, I mean, you have done this yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> successfully, your daughter tells me, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as I say, it is, you know, I would say it is the consistency. Um, whatever pattern you decide on, and I, I wanted to kind of get across that while the one parent, one language is a good principle, and I followed it, but it's by no means the only way of bringing up your children bilingually. So whatever is the most, well, as long as there's consistency, um in what you do, you can, you know, whether it's one person, one language, one setting, one language, right? It's equally possible, okay. uh, and yet children will still grow. But you know, whether your child at some point reacts against this, um, or you know, will cooperate, it kind of depends on the kind of situation as well. But it's definitely worth persevering. But again, as I also said, it's worth creating more opportunities for them. If they only think, oh, this, you know, only dad speaks this language, the more people that do, uh, or they have the experience that, you know, various people do, the better it is for them, really. Mm. Um, Whether it's grandparents or other, other children and and the other children there are quite um, quite important too. And, but despite the fact that, you know, my children did cooperate and the school environment helped, what was noticeable was that they themselves at one, and I don't know how this happened, but they decided or started speaking English to each other. I don't know why, but... Oh, that wow. was their, it was their pattern, and they still do. Whereas with me, they still speak German or text me in German or whatever. Gosh, um, that's interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? I don't know whether it's because within school, because there were children of different language backgrounds and English was the common language, that, that mm. is why they then started speaking English to other children and then to each other. But it it was their own pattern, and it obviously, again, was influenced by the majority language. Gosh, interesting. So, mm. so your husband spoke only English to them, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's just right to say, yeah. Does he because, speak I mean, German? He does speak, speak German, but, um, yeah, not, not bad, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, sometimes, 
it's interesting what perceptions children have. Um, so my husband sort of says um, that at some point our, our younger daughter said to him, oh, dad, your, your German isn't bad, but your <laughs> accent is terrible. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, so they're obviously, again, aware of, well, they're aware of he can speak German, but you know, his accent isn't native speaker like. So, uh, you know, and realizing that their own language maybe was kind of um, more, that they were themselves more proficient than he was. Yes. So it's sort of funny what they pick up on. <laughs> so if I met them, you know, if I met your daughters, would I think, and, and they were speaking German, would I think they were German? Do they sound. Do they sound completely German and then completely English if they're speaking either one? That would be interesting uh, because, of course, I mean, again, the status of the languages you have is not static. So, you know, what what your daughter has now and can do now is different from what the situation will be in five years' time. Yes. So in the same way... Um, you know, given that my daughters are working in an English context mm. and, you know, their German, they don't practice their German that much, maybe, apart from with me. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure whether they would com- sound completely German or whether to somebody else they would have, or a German speaker, they would have a, a, an English accent. I mean, I perceive them as fairly, you know, German-sounding. Mm. But um, but I'm also aware that they sometimes make some grammatical errors. <laughs> God, Hendrik does too. Whenever we whenever we go home to the island and Hendrik's talking to his mum, Hendrik's mum's always um, uh, adjusting what he's saying. It's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, you were saying sort of he's been in this country for a long time. I mean, again, there would, could be people who are sort of saying, ah, but what kind of model are you providing? You know, your, your, your French isn't, you know, as good anymore as when you left France. And mm. the same could, could be said about my, my, my German, I suppose. But, um, but nevertheless, is that a reason to say, oh, well, because I feel conscious about my native language and the the way it has become worse, maybe, I will then refrain from speaking that language to my children. I think that would be a loss. Yes, and I think, think the more he speaks it, the the more, um, well, I it mean, does. it's never gone, but, you know, he, he corrects his own kind of, it's, it's more, you know, how we speak in, like, well, or me, I'll speak in a slang sometimes, and, you know, sometimes Hendrik won't understand it because it's English slang, mm. you know, whereas... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm there's the same there's like French slang and he'll say no no that's not good that's not good French I don't want to teach that to Almondine I'll, I'll make it better <laughs> it's that kind of French rather than not knowing what he's saying well that's that's fine and I mean I do remember that for me it was also a way of getting myself better at switching mm. so um and it's not you know talk to a baby of course you don't, your language is relatively simple but uh, nevertheless you you get better at remembering your own language you remember what it was like for me it would have been unnatural to try and speak english to my children because it's a sort of a level of <laughs> talking to a child which you know not that i remember it but that to me came more natural in my own native language 
Mm. Um, um, you know, the way you talk to a little, uh, to a small child or a baby. Um, it was more natural for me to use German there than English. Mm. Absolutely. It was interesting what you were saying earlier about also, you know, the, the child wanting to speak the language. I remember being on a plane with, when I was pregnant, I was on a plane with a, I was watching a mum and her child and the mum was very clearly bilingual and so was her son um and she would speak to her son in French but he would only answer back in English right and I asked her I was like you know what's the deal with that can can he speak French or you know and Mm -hmm. and she said he's just purely rebelling he won't speak to me in French he'll only speak to me in English Mm -hmm. um but he's he's rebelling he won't speak French to me I thought that was really interesting Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be like this. Um, and the question is, if that happens, how do you react to it? Yeah. yeah. Do you kind of just accept it? Or do you then make a point um, and sort of say, what are you saying? I don't understand, you know. Yeah. <laughs> At least encourage them to yeah. use the other language. Um and I think I do remember reading an article about this where those you know mothers who did um, make more effort to get that child to speak the language were you know the children were obviously better at then speaking the language mm-hmm. um, whereas in the other case it would just you know you, you can see how you might lose it the child kind of reacts against speaking the language and then if you if that carries on, um, their their language might, no, their other language doesn't develop that much anymore. Although hearing it, um, it will it will have some benefit. But if they actively, if they refuse to speak it, then uh, it could. You know, I'm not saying you've lost it, uh, but it's becoming then. The, if that's the pattern that gets established, then it could very, very quickly go to a situation where it's an all English environment. Mm, yes. Um, so that's why. I mean, you, know, you can't force it anyway. Uh, but the more, that's why I'm saying, the more opportunities you offer for them to to, to be in a, in this case, French speaking context, the better, really. So, and and also it kind of removes the pressure from just yourself in this case your husband um that if he's the only one representing french then if she rebels against him she rebels against the language whereas if there's more contexts and more contacts then that might happen less Mm. hopefully (laughs) yeah fingers crossed (laughs) fingers crossed Oh, well, Christina, thank you so, so much for joining me. Is there anything else that you feel would be helpful to share with others um, before we wrap up? Um, No, I think we've kind of covered quite a lot. We have really, haven't we? (laughs) I've got to tell Hendrik, I'm like, I'm not even going to attempt to try and tell you what Christina has shared with me. You just need to listen to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) so he can hear it firsthand. Oh, thank you so, so much. Um, Do you know when you're, where, if, if anyone listening to this is thinking, oh gosh, I really, really want to read Christina's book. Do you know when it's going to be published or, or where you'd be able to get one from? Um, it is. I mean, it's called Introduction to Bilingualism, mm-hmm. and it. Uh, I mean, it is 
on Amazon already. Oh, brilliant. Uh, you can order it on Amazon. <laughs> oh, how exciting. Um, but uh, it does say on Amazon, you know, um, expected delivery kind of November, December. So it did say um, publishing date middle mid of October. So it should be published soon. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> but, um, so um, and it says here, I mean, I just printed out a flyer, that it's available either as an ebook or as a paperback. Oh, brilliant. For On Amazon for £25, something, 99 or something. Oh, fantastic. Is this the, <laughs> is this the first book that you've published? It is, actually. Oh, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it was quite a, um, quite a long process. I bet. Because it sort of developed from an idea to bring together, you know, approaches from the linguistic side, um, but also more from the psychology side. Mm-hmm. Where so, if you're looking more, that's why I'm sort of saying. On the one hand, if you just look at the language of the child, then you might sort of come to the conclusion: well, actually, if you compare them to monolinguals, then there might be certain disadvantages. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking, if you look on the other side, more the cognitive side, then you see uh, some of the advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to bring the two together. That was one um, one of my aims. <laughs> yeah. And um, the other, obviously, was to give an, an outline of you know the acquisition and um, case studies and. Um, and the idea, as I say, some people in the past have often thought, oh, the child is confused, they don't know what language they speak. And, you know, the, people have always, they've used methods to actually try and measure how much children understand. Um, and the as methods got more sophisticated, it seems that our understanding has grown of how much even a tiny baby can not understand, but they they kind of hear the language. They they like to hear language. They kind of they prefer that as a sound. I mean, did you know that a baby when it's born can recognise its mother's voice? Yes, I did know. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It is amazing. So if they can do that, then you know they have amazing abilities to tune into the languages they hear. Mm, absolutely. Um, I think I definitely underestimate the how clever a little baby is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's, of course, in terms of evolution, it's so important that they have language, that, you know, this is what the first years um, predestined them to do. They need to learn because otherwise without language, they couldn't take part in, you know, our life and our community. Communication, so it is very, very important, and I think nature has given them all the tools uh, from very, that they use from very, very early on uh, to, to to get themselves to understand, and crack the code, as it were, mm-hmm. to to get into that language and to kind of then learn that language. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Christina, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Okay. I yeah, it was very interesting. Really appreciate it. I think um, a lot of the listeners will find that really, really helpful on okay. their uh, journey. Good. 
Huge, huge thank you once again to Christina for coming on the podcast. I found that incredibly informative listening to, well, talking with Christina, first of all, and listening back to it just now. Really, really informative. Thank you so much. It's definitely one I'm going to make Hendrik listen to. Um, It's going to help us a lot on our journey. So if you are also on a bilingual journey, then I hope this was helpful. Thank you so much for listening. Really, really appreciate it. If you have a moment, please, please, please go and review or at least do the little star thingy on iTunes. It really helps the podcast spread to other people's desktops um, so they can see it and it can hopefully be of some support to other mums or dads who find mums obviously who find themselves pregnant but also dads parents carers um, I would really really appreciate it so if you're listening to me um, waffle on please head over to iTunes and do that just now I really would appreciate it so don't forget to get your tickets for the event on the Monday the 18th of November if you're local to Exeter or not um, I really would love to see you I would love to meet you, it's going to be hilarious I'm going to let you go now because it's been quite a long podcast check in next week, next week we have the allergy badge on so we're talking all about allergies, I had no idea how difficult it was to live with allergies amongst the family especially when you're looking at nuts or dairy oh sorry if you heard that that was Hendrik flying Amandine around the house whilst I record this she's just woken up from her nap so do tune in next week for a very interesting listen and it really makes a great listen actually if you are say hosting a party and you have a friend who has a baby or a child with an allergy that was one thing I took away from it most was if we do have a party or something for Amandine and there is someone with an allergy how to uh, make the child feel included and how to um, be aware of the parents worries because of course that's quite worrying sending your child into someone else's home let alone if they have an allergy so I'll leave it there thank you so much for listening please review and I will check in with you next week Mum Talk is supported by Bugaboo, a world of innovative products that give every parent the confidence and freedom for the journey ahead. And we've got this for Mum Talk podcast listeners, a 10% saving on Bugaboo products available this month, November 2019. So visit bugaboo.com forward slash mum talk using promo code mumtalk10 at checkout capital letters and choose the pram pushchair stroller car seat or accessory to suit your lifestyle terms and conditions apply bugaboo reserve the right to terminate this offer at any time